This is Key the Mic, a podcast on the leading edge of fire service innovation. I'm your host, Inanna Hinky. Join me as we unpack today's emerging issues and the minds and tools at work to solve them. Firefighter turnouts are they're waterproof. They're designed to protect a firefighter from the environment that they're in. So heat, smoke, high temperature gases, steam. The garment itself is designed to protect them and filter those things and to stop them from reaching their skin. And when you try to wash those things out of a waterproof garment, water doesn't do it as effectively as other things could, like CO2. Today we are joined by retired fire chief Michael Dyke. Chief Dyke has over 33 years of experience in the fire service. He joined Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue in 1989 and became fire chief in September 2010 after serving in all ranks of emergency services, as well as fleet services, human resources, logistics, emergency management, and government affairs. In addition to being past president of the Metropolitan Fire Chiefs Association, he is a past president of the Western Fire Chiefs Association and served on the International Association of Fire Chiefs Board of Directors. Chief, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. You retired as the chief of TVFNR in 2019 and went on to become the vice president of a new company called Emergency Technical Decon, or ETD, shortly afterward. So how does one go from fire chief to entrepreneur in such a short period of time? (laughs) It's been a whirlwind. And I I would just say, so I was fortunate enough to work for uh, an organization in my fire service career that loved to innovate, always trying to look at the way we provided public safety and is there a better way. It made it easy and, and frankly fun to work for an organization like that. And then when I I came to retirement, I loved the innovation and the technology and the way the advancements of the fire service in general was taking on what was happening. And and when I learned about what Emergency Technical Decon was working on, uh, it was something that I'd love to do. And I saw the impact it could make on the fire service. And I was fortunate enough to uh, be asked to join the team. That's excellent. So it sounds like you heard about ETD. Um, How did it come to pass that you connected with them and they invited you onto the team? So ETD is a partnership between Hughes Fire Equipment, which is primarily on the West Coast, and Cool Clean Technologies, which is based in Egan, Minnesota. Hughes Fire Equipment, over 30 years of serving the fire service with with equipment sales and and innovative products, fire apparatus, uh, and other things. Cool Clean Technologies They've been manufacturing liquid CO2 technologies for a wide variety of industries for over 20 years. And they started talking about what that technology could mean to the fire service, how it was uniquely suited to actually work on decontaminating PPE and other equipment that the fire service uses, and decided to bring those two forces together to create emergency technical decon. They worked on that for over five years to bring us to this point. Bringing my knowledge of the fire service to that team was something that they were looking for. And so it's been a great partnership all around. With your role as vice president, do you find that helping to run a business is similar to running a fire department? You know, there's a lot of things that are similar, especially Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue, where I spent the majority of my career They had really this philosophy that they wanted to bring the local government principles and the private sector principles together to create the best synergies for running a public safety organization. 
So I was very familiar with studying those private sector principles, uh, along with how local governments work and the best practices of public agencies. And so although I'm learning a lot about the whole sales side and the corporations and, and really all the rules and, and methods that those are run, um, it's been a fairly good transition for a lot of it, but I, I would stop short to say that it's been easy to capture all of it, but I'm enjoying uh, all of it uh, very, very much. Circling back to what ETD does. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with your company, ETD specializes in liquid CO2 decontamination of firefighting PPE. Walk us through what happens when you receive protective gear that needs to be cleaned. What is your process? If you're used to how we typically would launder, say, turnout clothing, you would take them all apart. You would take the outer shell and the moisture barrier and inner liner all apart and then put them into the washing machine because they're going to go through a water detergent washing cycle. We don't do that because of the unique technologies with liquid CO2. The garment actually stays completely put together, zipped up and put into the machine without taking any of the articles apart. The CO2 is uniquely suited to actually penetrate all the layers. And after it goes through a, a cycle that completely decontaminates it, it comes out and it's completely dry. And frankly, you could hand that to a firefighter. They could put it on and go to work. So it's a very unique process that is a dry cleaning process. But dry cleaning uses hydrocarbon-based solvents and other things that are actually in the NFPA standards forbidden to be used on cleaning firefighting gear for obvious reasons. You wouldn't want hydrocarbon residues on a turnout coat and then go into a fire. That, that could be a recipe for disaster. So your solution, it sounds like it's purely CO2 or I don't know, do you use any other solvents as part of the magic mixture to get into all those tiny cracks? There is, there is. There's, so it's liquid CO2, and then there's proprietary additives that are safe for all fabrics. So again, Cool Clean Technologies has been supplying these machines, some for the fabric cleaning industries, uh, for over 20 years. So they know the additives that they use are safe for all fabrics. There's specially formulated additives, though, that work specifically and very well with CO2. And that's why those have been chosen uh, for the process. And the mixture that we're using for turnouts is specially formulated to attack those toxins that we see inside turnout clothes. And, and that's why that recipe has been so effective in what we're seeing uh, in our outcomes. Tell me a bit more about the machines that complete this process. I'm imagining industrial-sized <laughs> washing machines, but it might look a little bit different. Tell us more. It's not a lot different from that vision that you would have in that there, it, is a, it does have a door on the front of something that looks like a round uh, machine, but it, there's a lot more going on with that. So it's actually large pressure vessels that have a lot of different components that allow CO2 to remain in a liquid state. And in its liquid state, that's where we get the great penetration and coursing through all the different layers and threads of the fabric. And then also allow us to inject those other additives into the process to remove contaminants. But then we can actually switch in the middle of the process to change it from a liquid to a gas, which allows us to easily evacuate it from the entire garment in the chamber. And then do multiple rinse cycles to continue to pull more toxins and more contaminants and all the uh, different products that were used in the cleaning process. And in the end, 
you end up with a recapture of all the different components. The CO2, the additives are all recaptured and filtered and cleaned. And you also end up with all the contaminants being captured so they can be safely disposed. You can imagine the types of toxins and carcinogens that we're pulling out of these garments. You wouldn't want those just going in the trash. So we can safely dispose of those in a way that's good for the environment, it's safe for the public, and it's safe for the firefighters in that their gear is now completely clean. And then the other thing with these is, uh, although water washing machines and extractors are expensive, if you just bought one before you installed it, it could run you something close to $10,000. These machines cost around a million dollars. So they're very expensive, very sophisticated, but very, very effective with the work that we're trying to do. It sounds like a very thorough and intensive process, which is no less than what we want to protect our first responders. There is substantial evidence to support that the chemicals that firefighters are commonly exposed to on the job are oftentimes carcinogenic or toxic in one way or another. Is this increased awareness about the risk of cancer motivating firefighters to decontaminate their gear differently these days? It is. When I reflect on my over 30 years, I mean, we didn't used to do much of anything. We never washed our gear. Soot all over your face was a badge of honor, dirty helmets. You know, that has all changed. I remember living those changes when we started to understand that cancer is a real thing for firefighters and it's being caused by the exposures that we face. Right now, the month of January is Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month. It's dedicated to make sure that firefighters understand what they can do to make sure that they're um, removing those toxins and limiting their exposure as much as they can. My own department and many departments are investing in resources to decontaminate, adding things to apparatus to decontaminate on scene. They're buying cleaning uh, machines and devices for cleaning gear. There's even uh, a new app that firefighters carry that they record every exposure that they are exposed to, to track for their medical history in the inevitable day that they might come down with cancer themselves. In fact, 2019, cancer was the cause of 75% of the line of duty deaths. And so it's a significant issue. NFPA and other standards bodies have conducted research on firefighter cancer. Most firefighters are very much aware of cancer because it's happened to them. Their organization either has had or have cancer cases that are active or have had firefighters die from that. And we know a lot more. I didn't know until I retired, in fact, that the machines that we were using in the fire stations were only removing per NFPA 15 to 40 percent of the carcinogens from our gear. So departments are very aware, I think, now of the realities and trying to decide and understand what else they can do to protect their people because this is such a significant issue. Are there any challenges to having the right kinds of decontamination gear on site? Do fire departments struggle with this in any way? Well, I would start by saying any decontamination is good. I really want to make sure, although we have a great solution for decontaminating gear, that doesn't mean everyone should stop using the less effective. <laughs> I would want everyone to, to use everything. Uh, there's a lot of work that gets done in scene decontamination to, to immediately remove contaminants and toxins from firefighters while they're still on self-contained breathing apparatus. There's protocol that are being followed as far as making sure firefighters shower afterwards, 
A lot of fire departments are uh, investing in turnout washers, and those should continue to be used. Uh, because they do, even at 15 to 40 percent, it's taking away 15 to 40 percent. So it's still a good thing. The problem is firefighter turnouts, are they're waterproof. They're designed to protect a firefighter from the environment that they're in. So heat, smoke, high temperature gases, steam, the garment itself is designed to protect them and filter those things and to stop them from reaching their skin. And when you try to wash those things out of a waterproof garment, water doesn't do it as effectively as other things could like CO2. So I think it's understanding the limitations that we have with the devices that we have on scene or maybe within our own departments uh, and use those accordingly but then also look to the ultimate solutions on a periodic basis uh, to make sure that we're doing everything we can for our people. Funding is scarce, and we know that uh, departments do their best, but I think there's a, a recipe for how departments can operate and, and are learning that to make sure they're doing everything they can to stop those exposures from happening in the first place. For those of us who aren't as familiar with the science, why is CO2 decontamination so much more effective than traditional cleaning? CO2 in its liquid state has 12 times less surface tension than water. If any of the firefighters have ever watched foam be put into a puddle of water, it immediately starts to soak into the to whatever it's on. And that's because the foam causes it to reduce surface tension. CO2 is also, it only has 8% of the viscosity of water. So it courses through the garment, penetrates the garment much better. It's actually where a lot of the toxins that are in firefighter turnout gear are not water soluble. CO2 actually solubilizes those toxins so that they can be removed. You couple that with the other additives that we use and it completely solubilizes and cleans those toxins out. And the other thing, it cleans not only the surfaces around the thread throughout the garment, so it goes through all the different layers. And again, it does so in a fashion where water has a lot of force and can, depending on how old some of the machines uh, departments are using, water can damage a garment. This actually doesn't damage garments because it easily courses through the a garment without causing that. The other thing is because it's a dry cleaning process, there's a lot of PPE that we were never able to clean. So gloves and boots and helmets and those things that we could never really clean because they weren't water friendly. I remember putting my firefighter gloves in a water washing extractor and they came out and they were all curled up and hard as a board. And I literally had to beat them on a concrete floor to get them soft enough to to move them again. Uh, CO2, we can throw those in the machine. It completely pulls all the contaminants out and they look like new. Uh, it's just a really unique chemistry that allows for us to do great things. The coat and the pan are the most commonly talked about, but gloves now and hoods, they're multiple layer and they're meant to actually block particulate that causes them to also retain toxins and trap toxins inside. So we have the ability to get through those things. The other thing that's really interesting about CO2 is we can clean leather things. So the leather radio holsters that firefighters wear on medical calls, but they also wear them under their coats in fires to hold their portable radios. Those get 
uh, contaminated and there's no good way to clean those leather boots. Yeah, we scrub the outsides with soap and water, but we can actually clean them completely with CO2. So there's just a lot of things, uh, even down to cab seats, uh, other things that firefighters get dirty and contaminated because they touch them with contaminated gear that we're able to address because of the unique nature of CO2. That's fantastic. According to your website, this kind of decontamination has never before been offered in the fire service in the United States. It seems so wonderful. Why do you think it's been such a long time coming? It's because of the unique uh, nature of this process. I mean, it takes a special type of machine to make sure that we're able to keep CO2 in that liquid state. Cool Clean Technologies is the leader in that innovative process. They were, in fact, they sell machines worldwide, I mentioned, across a lot of different industries. And it was cost prohibitive also with other companies trying to do it. Cool Clean in the ETD partnership has figured out how to take the the science and the chemistry and put it into a process that makes it effective. It's proprietary also, so no one else really knew how to do it. It's really a new day for the fire service because this is available. It's the first of its kind available, uh, obviously based in Egan, Minnesota, where we're at. But the intention is to, over time, set up facilities all over the country. So it's much easier for departments to get to them, albeit it's available now through a variety of shipping options, which makes it effectively available for everyone at this point. I heard that your facility is currently undergoing NFPA 1851-2020 certification. What would that mean for your company? So actually, I was uh, pleased to hear that we just passed. So uh, the NFPA 1851-2020 standard is the first of the 1851 uh, standard revisions to include performance requirements for cleaning. 1851 has been around since 2001. In fact, it was, it was being created for the last 25 years. But a 2001 was the first standard, and up until the 2020 standard came out, which just came out last year, there was never a requirement for a laboratory to analyze how clean a cleaning facility or a verified cleaner or an ISP on how well they were doing on removing toxins. NFPA uses a whole panel of what's called semi-volatile organic compounds or SVOCs to test how clean their process is pulling those toxins out. Well, the standard says you have to remove 50%. I'm pleased to say we removed over 99% of those toxins. In fact, we took it a step farther and actually did some analysis on the full EPA panel of 16 what are called PAHs or polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are the most toxic of the SVOCs. And we also cleaned those to undetectable levels. The measurement technology they have could not find any remnants of those toxins after our process. So what it means to us is a third party has evaluated us and said, you are doing a great job and you are worthy of the stamp to say you're verified of being in compliance with the NFPA 1851-2020 standard. There are very few uh, across the country. In fact, I looked um, even today, and there's less than 20 have um, passed that bar so far. Uh, And the standard goes fully into effect next month in February. 
where only those that have passed that standard will be called NFPA uh, verified for 1851. So it's a big deal for us. It's what, uh, in my discussions with fire chiefs across the country, what they ask, hey, are you UL verified or uh, NFPA verified? And and we're pleased to be able to say right now, yes, we are. We think we're doing a great job, but not only we think we're doing a great job, uh, NFPA and UL say we're doing a great job because they checked. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today? So I'd just like to say thank you to you and uh, key the mic. This is a great opportunity for us to talk about the new technology that's available for the fire service. I think it's a new day for us being able to create a safer work environment for our firefighters. They're exposed to so many hazards in the course of doing their job. It's dangerous enough, <laughs> the work they do in, the, in, in communities all across the country. And we're pleased to say there's a way we can maybe make their jobs a little safer. Every time firefighters put on their turnout gear, they're essentially uh, re-exposing themselves to the toxins from the last fire they were on. And the opportunity in front of us is to send their gear in and get it fully decontaminated so they can, with confidence, put that gear on the next day and know that they're not reabsorbing something that was trapped within that garment. So I'd love to answer any questions that anyone in the fire service might have. And thank you to you and Key the Mike for this opportunity to talk and share our information with the fire service. Absolutely. And we will include your website as well as contact information in our show notes for today's episode. But thank you so much for joining us to talk about CO2 decontamination and how this method can better protect our fire service members from harmful residues left behind on their protective gear. I really appreciate you bringing forward this new way to take a look at cleaning PPE that is so effective. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Stay safe out there and until next time. For more information about our podcast and today's episode, visit our website at keythemic.org. That's keythemic.org.